How are you out there? Besides Pastor Mike, how are you out there? That's better. Let's get to Matthew 5. I think we've spent so much time in Matthew 5 preaching through the Beatitudes and verse by verse, and now Jesus sharing topical messages here. Remember, I want you to get the picture in your head of what's going on here as this is being chronicled. Jesus is sitting in an outdoor place. There are people all over. They're hustling. They're bustling around. They're listening to him teach. He's giving them, uh, they're a casual crowd. They're multitudes, yet he's given some heavyweight doctrine here that speaks to all of us today. You know, and think about what's going on out there as he's speaking these words. There are people listening. There's people moving. There's children crying. There's probably animal noises, right? It's like a normal Sunday morning service. And he's giving this life-changing messages here, so much solid doctrine. And we get thousands of years later to just mull over it and allow the Holy Spirit to bring it to life to us. I'm going to read two sections this morning. He he only gives us uh, two verses, 31 and 32, out of chapter 5 on our topic this morning. But I'm going to recap by starting in verse 27 as he spoke of adultery. The last time we were together... We uh, pulled apart Jesus' implications on adultery here. Let me uh, bless the word and start in verse 27. Father, we thank you this morning that all of these years later by the Holy Spirit, these truths come alive to us. And God, I pray that the hustle and bustle and the milling around in our own spirits would settle down for just a moment to hear truth. Father, I pray as we hear these things this morning, they would draw us closer to you and they would make us more thankful for the blessings in our life and for the relationship we have with you through Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, open the word to us, and let us leave here encouraged and stretched and excited about being your children. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, in verse 27 here, Jesus speaks about the issue of adultery. He says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Listen to what he says as he shifts gears and goes from adultery right into the topic of divorce. It was said. Notice he doesn't say you have heard. He said it was said. We're going to talk about the significance of that. It was said, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the reason of unchastity or marital unfaithfulness, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Jesus drops two verses on the casual crowd and what a spiritual bomb it is to that generation. These guys were there for the show. They were there for, let's see what it'll do. You know, they didn't have TV. They didn't have cable. This is their opportunity to have, you know, a little interaction. And Jesus is not covering lightweight topics with them. He's covering some really heavy topics. He started here after we came out of the Beatitudes, and he talks about murder. And he says, you know, you may never pull the trigger, or you may never stop a beating heart, but you can murder people with your words. 
with your attitude, with your judgments over them. And then he moves on from that, and he talks about restoring fractured relationships. And he says, you know, if you're bringing an offering to me, and you, and you have something between your brother or sister, there's an issue there. He says, leave your offering at the altar, and go be reconciled to them. Why? Because when we have bad relationships and bad attitudes towards people who we can see, how can we have communion with God whom we don't see? And he moves from murder to fractured relationships. And then he speaks about adultery. And, you know, many times Jesus said things to the generation as a whole. He called them, you wicked and adulterous generation. Do you remember how Jesus used to win friends and influence people? He would just, you know, tell them what they want to hear. I mean, you wicked and adulterous generation. That's, I mean, anyone who starts a conversation off like that. It's going to go downhill from there. What he was speaking of is the fact that not that they were just adulterous within their own relationships and their own marriages, but they were unfaithful to him. That, that the nation of Israel, that the people of God, had walked away from God and had joined themselves to worldly things and worshipped things that were in place of God. And that was spiritual adultery. We talked about all the implications of literal adultery that in the New Testament here when we're under grace, if we look to lust, if we look for the purpose of lusting, that's adultery of the heart. And God says we're guilty of it in his sight. Now, even outside of the sexual bounds of uh, looking to lust at an individual sexually, what about looking to lust at all the material things that are around us? You see what a pitfall this is. You see how Jesus raises the bar. None of us can squeak under it. All of us stand guilty. And all of us stand in need of a Savior. Well, I just, I mean, the overwhelming amens I'm hearing. <laughs> it's going to get a little bit harder before it gets better here. So murder, restoring fractured relationships, adultery. He continues to hit this casual crowd with heavy-duty topics. Uh, we, we talked about the breaking of the marital covenant, and that's important for us to recap here this morning because Jesus shifts gears right into these next two verses, 31 and 32. He goes from adultery to divorce. He goes from looking and lusting. And remember what I said, if you look and lust long enough and you don't push those thoughts out of your spirit, eventually you wind up doing what you rehearsed in your mind that's the way it works that's why it's a battle for the purity of our minds now he covers divorce here now what's the biblical definition of divorce we understand what it is in in uh, the, the the way our society touches it we're going to talk about the culture of divorce but there are two words in scripture uh, used for divorce the hebrew word in the old testament is seen for the first time in jeremiah 3 8 and it's kareuth and it means the cutting of the marital bond. It's a cutting. So I want you, if you've ever had children, if you've ever seen an umbilical cord be cut, raise your hand. It's an amazing thing. That cutting separates the child from the mother. Now the child has to breed on its own, get its nutrients on its own. Eventually, around 40, move out of mom's basement. You know, there's a cutting there. So that cutting is a, se is a separation which brings us to the New Testament word. The New Testament word used for divorce, it appears three times in the New Testament, is apostaseon. It's the word where we get apostasy from. If you're crying now, it's going to get worse. So, <laughs> look, you knock it off. Apostaseon is, the meaning of that is separation. When we commit apostasy from God, we separate ourselves from Him. And we separate ourselves from the blessing and the holiness. Uh, understand there's a separation that takes place in divorce. So we have kiruthos. Oh, I can't even say that twice in a service. But 
It's the cutting of the marital bond. Then apostasion is separation. So a good biblical definition for us is the separating and terminating of the marital covenant by cutting its bonds. The separating and terminating of the marital covenant. And that's what I want you to see here. How has that happened? By cutting its bonds. Now the problem, this is what the Bible says divorce is by the words that it uses to describe it. The problem with all this cutting and separating and terminating is that God designed marriage to be exclusive, monogamous, and for life. There's a reason why all the weddings I've done, we say, till death do you part. And you say, well, why does it? Now, if we're going to be honest this morning, I realize this is a, this is a hard topic, but we're going to all survive here this morning. So maybe if you can be honest, or maybe if you can't, at, at moments you would have thought, why does marriage have to be forever? Why is it for a lifetime? All the newlyweds are like, all the married people are like, you know, marriage is like a fly on a pane of glass. All the ones on the outside want to get in, and all the ones on the inside want to get out. Okay? And you might have thought, why does it have to be forever? And there's, really, there's a really good explanation for this, and I want you to go to Genesis 2, 21 through 24. If you want to go there, that's fine. If not, just write this down. Genesis 2, 21 through 24. This is going to show why it makes perfect sense that marriage was meant to last a lifetime. It says this in Genesis 2, 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib that he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. From the design of marriage, God took the woman from the man. At marriage in the covenant, the man and the woman are joined again together, and they, became, they become one flesh again. The reason that marriage is to last a lifetime is because how, how easy is it to separate something that's one flesh without killing all of it or part of it? When something's one flesh, if you think about, if you say, you know what, I don't like my arm anymore, and I'm going to cut it off. Well, that arm can be cut off, but it's not going to survive without the body. So now you've separated the flesh, but you've killed a part of it. If you think about the medical anomalies where you have uh, conjoined twins together, where two twins are joined in such a way where they share organs or share body parts, how easy is it to divide those two? Not easy. When something's one flesh... It's meant to stay together till death. And that's why the marital covenant, the marital relationship, was meant to last a lifetime. Because what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. Wow, that makes a lot of sense to us. Now, in these two verses here, Jesus gives a two-part warning to us in these verses. And it's a sobering thing. There again, the crowd was casual. They were there. They, they didn't come to hear this. This is a heavyweight message. Yet Jesus speaks to the, the generation, and he gives a two-part warning. The first warning is this that he gives in verse 31. It says, It was said, 
And that's different than you have heard. But uh, he goes on to say, it was said, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. The first warning to us is this. Our culture is wrong. Our culture is wrong. And their culture was wrong. And they had taken something that was handed down to them, and they had turned it into something quick and easy. And, you know, you, he, he starts off by saying to them, it was said. Now, notice the other things he said when he talked about murder and, and adultery and all these other things. He said, you have heard. You have heard. Now he says, it was said. And I'll tell you why that is. It, some people might not even notice that distinction. But the culture of divorce that Jesus was addressing wasn't given to them by God. It was given to them by men. God didn't say, you know, you could get unhitched once I've hitched you. You could, you could cut it apart if you felt like it. No, that was something that was given to them by permission of men. Why? Because it said Moses allowed you to divorce because of the hardness of your hearts. You see, that was something that was... Now, why did they do that? Because the people's inability to live together, just for the leaders to broker peace and have peace in society, they had to allow them to separate rather than to have these volatile marital relationships that would become abusive. So God's saying, this culture that I'm about to address here in divorce was not given to you by me. It was given by permission of men. So it's not that you have heard. It's that... It has been said. And so notice the distinction there. He's addressing this culture, and it's a powerful indictment against it. Um, it says here in Matthew 19, 8, he said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, Jesus quoting this thing about Moses, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, it was not that way. So it was pliable in, in a sense in God's sight, but yet man made it into something different. He gave permission to keep harmony in society, and he is speaking to that. The divorce in their generation was summed up by this. He said, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Now, originally, what was required in the Hebrew system uh, of God's people there was if you were going to get a divorce, you actually had to have a trial, now think about this. Now I know we have legal system issues when we have marriages that are brought into court and then there's fighting over marital assets and children. And it's really one of the most difficult situations we can find ourselves in. Really, it's something that, you know, as a pastor, I've been involved with dealing with these issues with families for the entire tenure of my ministry. And there's nothing more heartbreaking than seeing families squabble over these things. So there is a a judicial component involved with divorce and we get that but in Israel it was a very serious thing you needed a trial with judges and witnesses and the whole nine yards it was solemn it was messy and it was drawn out on purpose why because it was supposed to be something that only occurred as a last resort could you imagine having all your family business drug out in open court for everybody to hear that would be something most people would probably try and avoid and think, let's work it out instead, right? And so in Israel, you had to do that. It was solemn. It was, it was embarrassing. You had to give proofs of, uh, you know, infidelity, proofs of neglect and abuse. They had to be presented and substantiated by witnesses. There was a very high standard that had to be met before, almost grudgingly, you would be granted a divorce, 
Now that's what it started off at. What it had become was very different. And what Moses had intended by allowing these things was not what God had intended. And, and both, uh, uh, you know, God and Moses didn't intend for it to become what it became. Divorce was now quick and pretty easy and arbitrary. The marital covenant in that day, in that society, to those people that Jesus was talking to, was no more binding than a casual business agreement. It could be broken or made void for a myriad of petty reasons. And see, and legalism lends itself to pettiness. Anytime you approach something from a legalistic perspective, you know, well, if you do this, I get to do this. If you did that, then I can do. And anytime you approach something like that, it gets really messy really fast. And the, the Jews had taken 10 commandments and the, the priests and the interpreters of the law had literally written volumes and volumes of books on how to interpret the law. And they came up with reasons that you could get divorced that were so petty, it's hard to believe. But in that time, if you wanted a divorce, you could divorce your wife because she gained weight. Hang in there, ladies. You could do it. Now, this divorce thing was a man generally divorcing his wife. That's the way it happened most of the time in that day. Why? Because women had no economic power. And for a woman to be sent away by her husband and divorce was really an economic and a social death blow to her. You, you had to be, because if you didn't have, if your husband said you're done and he cuts you off, you either had to go home to mom and dad. If there was no one to take you in, you would actually be a poor destitute widow right out of the box. So, I mean, really hard situation for the ladies back then. And uh, that's why it's saying if a man divorces his wife. So you could divorce your wife because she gained weight. You could divorce her because she couldn't cook. This was an excuse. You could divorce her, listen to this, because she was missing teeth. This is what they came up with. Or if she had bad breath. One chicken Caesar salad. And you're done. Now, that's really pretty ugly because it's so petty, isn't it? That people would use. And what were those things? What were those expressions of the interpretation of the law? They were just excuses. They were just petty excuses to dissolve a marriage that had become inconvenient for whatever petty reason. Now, God never intended it to be that way. And what he's saying is, guys, you have strayed so far from what God has allowed, and your culture is wrong. Jesus is railing against the fact that this generation that he was speaking to had become so comfortable with breaking their marital bonds that they did it without shame. Now, could you imagine with me for a moment what what he would say to our generation. Ouch. Because compared to where we're at today, these people were like saints. It's gotten worse because men's hearts have gotten harder and people have gotten unchurched and they don't understand covenant and they don't understand the significance of standing before God and making a, re a covenant before him and, and sealing a marital relationship. Now we have a divorce rate, even in the church that's above 50%, more than half of marriages won't make it. That's why we celebrate 50 years as, you know, the Mordecis pass into this 50 year realm. Amen. We honor Pastor Frank for all that he's put up with and all. <laughs> Did I get that backwards, Nancy? I got it. I got it. But I mean, 50 years is a milestone, right? Yes. It used to be all you needed to get to that spot was to live long enough. 
Now it's like a miracle. If people's parents are together, if people's parents' marriage lasts 50 years, that's, that's a miracle. It's an anomaly. It's something that doesn't happen very much. And Jesus is railing against that. What would he say to us? We're over 50% and in divorce, even in the church, where it's been made quick and easy and now even cheap. If you look, divorce uh, ads litter our TV and radio and internet. It's big business. They offer, you know, they give a price of, of a, you can do this for that and you can cut this off and you can end the marital covenant. And it's going to be quick and cheap and easy. Our society has become so perverse. People have parties, or divorce parties. And all the time, there's damage that takes place in the hearts of everyone involved. And our Father in heaven weeps. Because how easy is it to separate one flesh without killing or damaging everything involved with it? You say, why is it like this? Partly because... Uh, our hearts have gotten hardened, partly because we've become unchurched, partly because no one has the guts to preach the word of God, but also partly because we live in a throwaway society. Nothing that's made is expected to last. When it breaks, we throw it away. We don't expect it to last. Things that used to last a lifetime when you bought, they don't last anymore. Does anybody remember how things used to last if you're old enough? When I was a kid, the refrigerator we had, that was the refrigerator. All growing up, right? That was it. It didn't break. If it broke, you have a repairman come in, and he would fix it. Now they make it to break. I've had guys walk in my house. It lasted how long? Oh, you did good. And the repairman's like, you bring them in. They $125. Can't fix it. Can't get parts for it anymore. Can't get parts for it. Can't fix it. Dude, it's a, it's a piece of plastic from Taiwan. You can't get that? <laughs> Breaks. It's expensive. It used to last a lifetime. Throw it out. How about furniture? You could inherit a piece of furniture from great-grandma, and it's still, uh, it's still, I mean, you could refinish it, make it beautiful. Why? Because it was made out of wood. Wood. Anybody remember wood? Where they took a piece of wood and they joined it to another piece of wood. And they made beautiful dovetail joints and they cut miters and they put it all together. Now you got particle board and you got a photo finish that you could scratch off with your fingernail. And it's got plastic corners. As someone who loves to build stuff, I open, I just start to cry. I feel like the Indian on that commercial when he sees the garbage and the tears running down his eye. This is what you call furniture? Tongue and groove, right? They don't even know what that is. Plastic corners and staples. Pop, pop, pop. It's sad. And it's garbage. And it doesn't last. And it falls apart. And we're like, ah, throw it out. Then we go to Ikea. We get another piece of particle board garbage. We put it together. We say bad words. And we hope it lasts for five years. (laughs) I'm just telling the truth in church on Sunday, okay? Nothing's made to last anymore. Electronics, throw it out. Furniture, throw it out. Appliances, throw it out. Unfortunately, we treat our marriages now the same way. If it's broke, we throw it out. If it gets difficult, if it's too much effort, if it's not fun anymore, we throw it out. If we want a new model, we throw it out. Jesus reminds us today, our culture is wrong. Our culture is wrong. 
marriage is meant to last a lifetime. Now, there are situations, and there's biblical uh, situations where Jesus says you can be out of this covenant because it was broken. We're going to talk about that. Uh, I understand as I preach a message like this as a shepherd, my heart is not to wound anyone or bring condemnation on anyone. It's to just do justice to the text and preach it the way Jesus meant it. But understand here today, uh, we're going to talk about these issues and how God views them and our culture of divorce in this nation and in this generation is wrong. God's way is right. What God has joined together, let no man put asunder. The second warning comes in verse 32 here, where Jesus raises the bar when it concerns divorce. He says, but everyone who divorces except, say except. Jesus himself lists one uh, reason why people would be allowed a divorce, marital unfaithfulness. That's when one or both partners steps out of the marriage and breaks the marital covenant sexually. So he says, except for a marital unfaithfulness makes her commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who divorces his wife except for the reason of marital unfaithfulness makes her commit adultery. Look at that. And and it says this, anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So right away, Jesus, he shifts back into that adultery component there that we spoke about last week. But he, there's a warning here for us. And the warning is this, that divorce comes with some very serious hidden consequences. Like I said, in my tenure as a minister, I've been doing marital counseling for longer than I'm, I've been a pastor, and I've seen all of these situations. I've stood in family court with broken families. This is not by any means my first rodeo. And I want you to understand something. People will say to me, you know, and I'd be like, don't do this. Let's have restoration. No, you know, what about your kids? They'll be fine. What about you? I'll be fine. Listen to me. In all the years I've done this, nobody comes out fine. Everybody's damaged in some way. The things our children have seen in this generation about the insolvency of marriage and how easy it is to just toss it away, that alone has damaged them to entertain the possibility that, hey, if it gets hard, I can throw mine away too. So there's always damage in all of these situations, but there's hidden consequences here. I say to you, whoever divorced except for the reason of marital unfaithfulness makes her commit adultery and there it is the hidden consequence the number one destructive thing that accompanies divorce is this consequence of the culture of divorce that divorce almost always leads to the sin of adultery because regardless of why or how or when the divorce happens everybody wants to get remarried and it's quiet now and it should be because it's a sobering moment Adultery and divorce go hand in hand together. That's almost certainly why Jesus spoke about adultery first before he spoke about divorce. So it would be fresh in our minds to understand what we are lending ourselves to if we go that route. Especially, listen, there's a biblical reasons that you permissible to get one. But if you get them for unbiblical reasons, you are opening yourself up to adultery. And that's a soul-destroying sin. That's a line that none of us want to cross. Adultery and divorce go hand in hand. And here's how adultery and divorce are linked. Number one, adultery is the leading cause of divorce. 
What's the number one reason people get divorced? It's, you know, there's, there's sex involved, there's money involved, there's, you know, there's all these reasons why we drifted apart and, and all this. But li- literally, the number one thing that destroys marriages is when one or both partners step out of the marital covenant and commit adultery. Adultery is the number one reason for divorce. So how can you uh, extract the two together? Number two, adultery is the only legitimate biblical reason for divorce. So they're, they're connected hand in hand. Why is it so uh, destructive when someone s- steps outside the marital covenant sexually? Because that is the thing that sealed the covenant, and it is the very thing that breaks the covenant. And I don't want to get too graphic with you here this morning, but hopefully we're all adults, and I can just be honest about what happens here in the marital relationship. When a man marries a, a woman, and the two of them get together, and they're virgins, and they consummate their marriage, during the sex act, the breaking of the hymen produces blood, and the, the, the covenant is cut. There is actually a blood covenant that's that is cut right there before God and God honors that blood covenant that marital covenant it is a very serious thing now I want you to I want you to wrap your head around this here you know when you had a blood covenant in the old testament if you broke it covenant breakers were listed among the worst of offenders you don't break covenant before God you don't throw covenant away covenant is something we need to understand and we need to be respectful of so god is saying there's a covenant here and the only reason that you could walk away from the bonds of that covenant is because someone went outside of it and broke it we're going to talk about that some more but adultery again is linked to divorce adultery commonly occurs in one or both of the parties after an unbiblical divorce see how the trap is set here people get divorced for the wrong reason you don't listen to me anymore you don't look like you used to you let yourself go you don't have any hair or teeth anymore and so they they quit and they 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 walk away and they throw their covenant away and it's unbiblical and there's no biblical reason for it and then both of them say well we're going to get remarried because you know we messed it up the first time but this time we're going to pick a winner and how many times does that not work out god help us It's quiet this morning, but it's okay because Jesus wants us to think about these things. They're a warning to us. Divorce comes with hidden consequences. Both people uh, have this, uh, an unbiblical divorce takes place. Everybody wants to get remarried. No one wants to be alone. It's interesting. If remarriage wasn't a possibility, think about how much harder we'd, we'd work to work it out and to restore and to keep our marriages intact. If, if, you know, like, as, you know, I wouldn't part from my wife for any reason, but the, the thing is, if you had to be alone for the rest of your life, uh, the older you are out there, the more you're thinking. <laughs> but the fact is that 99% of the people want to get into another relationship, and, and a large majority of them have picked out somebody already. And that's an abomination to God. Because you've entered a third party into your covenant already. And if you've ever had to deal with a situation like this in your life, you know it's the most painful thing that you'll ever have to deal with. The betrayal on that level is just excruciating. Adultery commonly occurs in both parties after an unbiblical divorce. It leads the way to even more serious sin. The last thing I want to say about adultery and divorce being linked is this. Spiritual adultery almost always precedes physical adultery. 
What does that mean? Long before you and I would ever cheat on our spouse, we've been unfaithful to God. You see, because if you and I stay faithful to God and in his word, full of the Holy Spirit, then we're not going to look at the two little defects in our spouse and want to throw our marriage away. We're going to overlook those things by grace because we're in grace and we're full of the Holy Spirit. Amen. But, but people who, you know, give themselves over to physical adultery, they've long since been unfaithful to God. So be careful. Be careful when your prayer time slips and it's not there anymore. Be careful when you don't spend time in the Word anymore. Be careful when you become a casual attender at church and you slip in and you slip out. Why? Because the enemy's setting you up for the kill. He's trying to pull you away from God because once we become unfaithful to God, it's amazing what else we'll become unfaithful to. So there's the relationship between adultery and divorce and jesus says but i say unto you he raises the bar for all of us and as the bar is raised for us here those of us who are married really need to appreciate and celebrate the the importance and the significance of our marriage we have marriage meetings on Fridays once a month. You can come. You can strengthen your relationship. Listen to me. Your spouse is the greatest gift of God to you that he has given you outside of Jesus Christ. They, I understand they might be annoying. They might leave the seat up or down or in whatever position you don't want it in. They might squeeze the toothpaste from the middle. People have been murdered over that. I get it. Two people in close proximity. It's not easy. My poor wife. But your, 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 your spouse is a blessing from God. And Paul said what? Because of immorality, let everyone have their own husband or their own wife. So you insulate each other from the immorality that would snare and destroy your soul. You're a gift to each other. Don't defraud one another. Don't cut one another up. Don't, don't be adversaries. It's not a boxing match. It's a dance. Amen. Stop fighting and start. Want to dance? I was just kidding. She wants to box. But adultery and divorce, they go hand in hand. Now, here's a conclusion here. I want to bring this in for a landing. Divorce is a terrible thing. It, it, it brings profound damage to everyone involved. It affects husbands and wives and children and communities and, and society as a whole. It, it damages everyone. It destroys the hearts of people. And because it shatters people and because it hurts children, that's why God says it's an abomination to him and he hates it. And I want you to listen to Malachi 2, 13 through 16. Now, God doesn't hate divorced people. He hates divorce because of what it does to people that he loves. And listen to what he says to them in the Old Testament here. Israel and their history is given to us as a reminder that, you know, this is how human nature plays out. And it's a reminder to all of us. Once again, the prophet Malachi, or Malachi as we call him, the... <laughs> the Italian prophet. Malachi is warning Israel because they had gone astray. He says this, 
uh, in 2, 13 through 16. This is another thing you do. Oh boy, here it comes. Do you cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping, with groaning, because he has no longer regarded the, your offerings or accepts it with favor from your hand? He's saying, you guys are crying and whining because God is not accepting your offerings anymore. Why? Verse 14. Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, against whom you have dealt treacherously. Though she is your companion and your wife by covenant, but not one has done so who has remained of the Spirit. And what did that one do while he was seeking a godly offspring? Take heed that you then to your spirit and let no one deal treacherously against the wife of your youth for i hate divorce says the lord the god of israel and with him who covers his garments with wrong says the lord of hosts so take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously what is god saying you guys have defrauded one another you've mistreated one another particularly the men of israel in that time who had divorced their wives for any number of petty reasons and thrown them into financial destitution and led them into adultery now in our society it works both ways and god says don't deal treacherously with the spouse with the wife with the husband that i've given you because i hate divorce because of the destruction that it brings I want to close with a few last remarks that are going to hopefully answer some of the issues that a message like this would stir up in the hearts of the people. Number one, divorce is a sin, but it is not the unpardonable sin. Okay, let me say that again. Divorce is a sin. God hates it, but it is not the unpardonable sin. Some churches have made it the unpardonable sin. There is a sin in Scripture that the Lord says is unpardonable. That's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. I could take time to teach on that. But trust me, this is not it. And so if you've been divorced, there is forgiveness. There is restoration. God is a gracious God, and he loves us. He understands that we make mistakes, and we, we, we sin, and he's created provision for that. So don't ever look down on anyone because, you know, they, they have a worse sin than you or this, you know, that's a sin that God really doesn't like. My sin he likes. He kind of just, you know, winks at that. But <laughs> Sin separates us from God. But Jesus broke the power of sin. So divorce is sin, but it's not the impardonable sin. Number two, if you were divorced before you came to Christ, it's under the blood. Every sin that we commit before we come to Jesus, when we come to him and we're born again, we are forgiven from head to toe. We're cleaned by the blood of Jesus. Don't let the enemy torment you or bring guilt upon you over things you did before you came to Christ. And some of us live with shame and we live with condemnation. Listen to me. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, so we'll repent. The devil brings condemnation. If you're feeling condemnation after this message I just preached, you are not getting what's coming out of this preacher. Okay, that's the devil trying to make you feel condemned. But I love you, and I'm, I love you enough to preach the truth just the way it lays out and to let the Holy Spirit to just bring restoration to our hearts. So if you're feeling condemnation this morning, that's not from me. That's not from the Word. Everything that you did before you came to Christ is under the blood. Let it go. Don't let the devil remind you of your past. When he does, you remind him of his future. He's headed for the pit to burn for eternity. Amen? You have my permission to tell him so. 
If you've been divorced for unbiblical reasons, for sketchy reasons, or after you were a Christian, I want you to do two things. Number one, I want you to get before the Lord and ask him to forgive you. Nobody is completely innocent. Very rarely in any of these situations, like I said, we always have a part to play. If I've mistreated my wife, if my wife's mistreated me, if we've defrauded one another and one of us step outside covenant, we're all partially guilty. So we've got to ask the forgiveness of the Lord for whatever our part is. It's very rare. I've seen situations where people, they did nothing wrong. They were the perfect husband, the perfect wife, and that person stepped out on them. And it's just so sad. But 99% of the time, we've all got something to ask God to forgive us for. And so if you've had a sketchy divorce, if you had one that's unbiblical or one when you were a Christian, ask God to forgive you. And then number two, be very careful about considering remarriage. Many people go from the frying pan into the fire and make the same mistake over and over again. And we've got to be very careful. Jesus said if you marry someone who, you know, is divorced for unbiblical reasons, that you commit adultery with them, there's very serious implications there. If you're in a situation where, you know, you're looking at getting remarried, you should come to competent spiritual leadership, and you should get before the Lord, and you should get green lights from both of those parties before you go and make another mistake. Uh, what am I on, number four? If you're married and you're involved with someone else and you're still married and now you're thinking about getting a divorce, stop right now. Get help. The enemy is setting you up for the kill. I've seen these things happen over and over again and they bring more drama and more trouble. At the same time, uh, whatever situation that we find ourselves in, we need to get competent spiritual uh, input from someone who will tell us the truth and not tell us what we want to hear. But when you are in marriage and you picked out someone else and now you want to get a divorce, the enemy's setting you up for the kill. I have rarely, if ever, seen those relationships work out. They're usually plagued from start to finish because God will not be mocked if we defraud the wife of our youth. If you're in an abusive relationship, the first thing you need to do is get safe. You should never be in a relationship where you're literally, physically, your, your life is in danger. And, and don't let anyone tell you, well, you know, it's till death do you part. You don't have to stay till they kill you. If you're in a dangerous situation, get safe. But I want to say this. Don't get divorced too quick. Because God is a God of miracles and can change hearts and bring restoration. Amen. But get safe. I'm qualifying all these things because I wanted to answer the questions of your heart. The last thing I want to cover is this. If your spouse has been unfaithful to you and sexually stepped outside and broke your marital covenant, the Bible does allow for divorce. But I want to say this to you. It doesn't demand that you get a divorce. God has forgiven us. God has had patience with us. And we're always partially guilty so do your very best to broker restoration be patient be humble allow time for repentance and if there is no other possibility the bible grants you the ability to be out of that relationship but do it in the fear and the sobriety of the lord because it's a very serious situation that has eternal consequences divorce is such a part of our culture jesus warns us today that our culture 
is wrong. Divorce always has serious hidden consequences. He warns us today to be very, very careful not to enter into a situation that becomes ruinous to our souls. Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. I thank you this morning for the fact that you love us, God, and that you have made provision for us when we make mistakes, that your blood is able to cleanse us and purify us, that you're the God of miracles, that you bring relationships that seem dead back to life, and God, you can make them better than they ever were before. I pray for this body of believers. I pray for my own marriage, for our nation, for our culture, that we would repent of being so casual with our marriages that we would throw them away. But God, that once again, we would revere you and we would revere your word and we would revere the two becoming one flesh to where we would give our very best to make our marriages blessed and useful in your hands. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless the Lord. <laughs> it is not